In this episode of The Culture Quest, we'll kick off with Tavern Talk talking about our favourite acting performances, and then in the main discussion, we'll roast U2's album, War. In the outro, Anon will introduce the topic of next week's episode, which is a side quest, a side quest sword quest. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today, our three hearts beat as one, in the political sense of the term. With me... As always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello. And I am Inon. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today we're discussing U2's war. Um, so far in this quest of ours, we've done all kinds of things, but one commonality is that all of it was stuff we've heard good things about. But U2 is a band that both Peter and I never really liked, and Barrio, I think, was kind of indifferent to. So... Uh, we'll discuss our feelings about U2 after two weeks of listening to one of their most successful albums and see if they've changed it all. But before we do that, we always like to start an episode with a little segment we call Tavern Talk. On today's Tavern Talk segment, we're going to discuss a few of our favorite acting performances. It could be from anything from a movie, a TV show, whatever you can think of. It can be from a drama, a comedy. It can be a whole part or just one specific scene. It doesn't even have to be the lead character or anything. And, and I'll admit, Peter, when you suggested this topic and I felt like I'll be drowning in ideas for stuff to bring up, but I have to say I didn't. I, like, I found it harder than I thought to come up with things. A lot of good acting sort of blends in like you don't notice it if it's actually quite genuine, you know? Exactly. There's a bunch of good acting out there, but it's kind of hard to point out as I don't know anything about good acting, really. So uh, it's kind of a thing that you think that you know about. But honestly, eh, it goes over my head often. But anyway, who wants to start? Mine, I feel like is probably a little cliche, but I think I, like, I stand by it. It's, it's, it's interesting, like the story behind it and um, one of my favorite movies. Um, so my favorite acting performance is from Christian Bale which narrows it down almost by nothing because he's just done so <laughs> many good performances. But mine is him in American Psycho. Have you guys seen it? Well, no, I'm pretty never. sure that I did, but I, I don't remember. Um, well, basically, he's playing a psychopath, so um, not like an easy role to slip into. Yeah. But <laughs> this is like, I think this is probably his breakout role, what most people would identify as his breakout role. And, like, there's just scene after scene of just mind-blowing acting. He just captures the emotion and, like, lets you inside of his head just perfectly. But he was also doing, like, a form of method acting, which I don't know how he did because the character is killing people and <laughs> sort of doing all this weird stuff. But I guess you could take it to some level. But... Here's a couple things that his um, co-stars said. Uh, his co-star called Chloe Sevigny, I think it's called. 
Um, she said, working with, with Christian was pretty hard because I didn't know this whole method thing. I was pretty fresh. I hadn't done that many films before. And then an actor would lose himself to such a degree and was so consumed by the part. I was having a hard time kind of just wanting to socialize with him, but feeling that he didn't. And then my ego being like, does he not like me? Does he think I'm a terrible actress? So they said um, before they saw the film, a lot of his co-stars didn't like him because he was not an enjoyable person to be around on mm. set. But after after they saw the film, they actually realized why he was doing it. And, you know, when they when they saw the film, they changed their mind, essentially. So that's wild. I mean, method acting, how do you even approach it? Do you tell everyone around you that you're going to do method acting, that you're going to do that you're going to be the character all the time? I don't know. I think. I don't know. I assume there's certain limits. Like he's still a person, so like I guess you could say like send a global email and just say like <laughs> I'm going to be doing method acting, so bear with me or something. And I'm sure like <laughs> on some level people would know that. You know what I mean? Like he's still a professional. They're still paying him and stuff like that. Yeah. So and and then in the premiere and stuff like that, he's not acting like that. As soon as the filming wraps, he's fine. So, um, but I assume. I don't know what the limits are, like, because I know Heath Ledger, um, he, um, we're talking about you two, by the way, so I've had a bit to drink and, um, <laughs> well, I should, that should just explain itself. But um, anyway, so Heath Ledger locked himself in a room for like 30 days or something like that before he played the Joker. Yeah, I heard something to, about to, like, that. Drive yeah. himself insane or something. So I don't know, that's pretty extreme, but I mean, I imagine you could act between takes like a bit of a psychopath just to keep it going. But I think he probably went a bit further. I think like his outside, like after hours and stuff, I'm pretty sure he was sort of eating, working out, like doing things that his character would do. So I imagine you'd do that because part of the character is losing control. And obviously you wouldn't lose control yeah. because well, you would hope you wouldn't because it's just a movie after all. So I don't know. But um, do you know what it reminds me? Robert Downey Jr. in, in Tropic Thunder where he plays an actor who gets lost in, in character acting. And at some point he has to like <laughs> peel the different layers of characters that he, that he played to find, <laughs> to remember who, who he was. Yeah. I mean, Christian's done a lot of films. It's not like he's burnt out or anything like that. So he obviously has like a, a method to his method acting. I think I've seen like, I don't know, maybe six or seven movies with him and he's brilliant. I, I really, really think he can do... A lot of different things. Like he's got a yeah. wide, wide range, and yeah. the things that he does to, you know, to prepare for each role, the the all the bodybuilding and weight loss and everything, and he's definitely one of my favorite ones. And I I have to watch that movie. Or would you? You you recently also read the book, right? Yeah. Um. I which uh, would you recommend? Like Fight Club, I prefer the book. Um. Uh, yeah. But. Also, like Fight Club, it's just full of ridiculously good acting performances, and it's a great movie. the The, the thing is, it is a longer book. It's like probably double the length of um, mm, Fight Club, really? so it's harder to tell people to to um, read it. But if you if you want to read a four hundred page fiction book and you're looking for one to read and you enjoyed Fight Club because they actually are tangentially related. Um, 100% go for American Psycho. It was a good book. Well written as well. Cool. I'll give it a read and then I'll watch a movie. I, I really love uh, Christian, but I think my favorite performance of him is in um, The Prestige. Which, yeah, that was good. Uh, how many times can I mention that movie? It's 
basically my favorite movie. So mm. I love a lot of things about that movie. But Christian Bale there is amazing. Yeah. Mm. I got to say that, yeah. that I, I can really respect Christian Bale. And, and he, ha- he does have a very big range of roles that he can play. But I got to say that I don't really like his acting. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. It, it doesn't, he doesn't excite me. But maybe I need to watch American Psycho. I think, it, yeah. I think you would like American Psycho. It is very exciting, like, in terms of his acting. Like, he plays it up a little bit more than, like, he would in Batman or something like that. So Yeah, mm. like, like, I think Batman wasn't... He didn't do an exceptional work. But maybe it's because the character was not that interesting. Yeah. Was there ever a good Batman? Like a live action Batman? I, I actually don't mind Ben Affleck, but really um, I, I I didn't mind him, yeah. I didn't think anyone was awful. Like I don't I'm not saying that Ben Affleck's was awful, but I'm I don't think anyone was really transcendent in their role as well. Yeah, yeah. but Batman is a hmm. is a hard role. I think that, that uh, uh Heath Ledger did an amazing work like mm, that's uh, yeah that's a, that's a performance that really excited me you know kind of yeah. made you feel uneasy and it felt so original and i gotta say that i i maybe part of it is that christian bell as the as a as the protagonist was not that interesting so the joker mm-hmm. as the the antagonist and and a very interesting one was kind of like unstoppable force meets an immovable object but like acting wise mm. yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> if we're talking about method acting i have to to mention i recently watched a documentary in netflix i think it's called jim and andy a uh, documentary on, on Netflix about Jim Carrey and his role in Man on the Moon. He's playing Andy Kaufman. He's a stand-up uh, comedian uh, or practical comedian from, I don't know, the 60s or 70s. And uh, Jim Carrey plays him. Uh, I think Andy, Andy died. F- I don't know. I don't have the, the details in front of me. But Andy died a while back uh, in eight, 1984. And it's basically uh, a fictional movie about his life. And Jim Carrey just does the most amazing part ever. Like, I, I'm kind of surprised that I didn't even bring it up for this uh, segment now. But amazing movie. It's kind of sad. And uh, Jim Carrey in it is amazing. And the documentary, Jim and Andy, uh, basically when they shot the movie, Jim Carrey had his own kind of crew that filmed the behind-the-scenes things. So, hmm. And he really... he he literally got into the shoes of Andy Kaufman and he became that annoying person and everyone on set hated him. It's a great, great, interesting uh, documentary to watch. Barry, do you want to share uh, your favorite performance? Um, so I wanted to go with Heath Ledger, but just to spice it up, I, I feel <laughs> like I feel that we need to bring uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, Ooh, he's, yeah, he's great. I've only recently um, developed a sort of liking for him, actually. So I'm interested to see what film you pick. So I was thinking about Inception, but I got to say mm. that that I, I kind of reviewed it again in my head. There's an extraordinary scene before, spoilers, uh, his wife kills herself <laughs> and they have like this very emotional dialogue and... And he does some really excellent work. But I got to say that I think that Shutter Island is where he yeah. really impressed. Because that's mm. it, like everything about this movie, about that movie is, is awesome. He fits right into it, into the madness, into the insecurity and, and, and mental illness and just does great work there yeah that's yeah, fantastic he plays a very convincing there. so convincing in every scene uh like obviously i don't want to spoil it but 
there's like two ways of looking at every scene um, once you get to the end of the movie and he would have had to play the whole movie in that way, you know, and it would have been very difficult. I also thought about bringing up uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's great. And I thought about Inception, but I don't know. I don't think it's his best role. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I went over the, the, the list of stuff he's done and there's not one role that I can point to and say this is the best one, except maybe, and this is a weird choice, but... Um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Have you watched that? Oh, wow. No, I haven't seen that one. A movie from 1993. He's a kid there. Yeah, he is a kid. He's maybe 19 years old, I, th- I think. No, even less. He was born in 74. The movie's from 93. Yeah, so he's 19. And But he looks like a kid there. It's a charming movie. Yeah, it is. I think, like, the thing I like about Leonardo DiCaprio is I never have... Maybe it's because I'm not... I wasn't a big fan of him before, but... When I go into movies, I don't go, oh, wow, Leo's playing a good role. I In the first minute, I just believe his character. Hmm. You know, like I don't remember him in other roles. Whereas with Christian Bale, sometimes I do think that. Like sometimes when I'm watching Inception, um, sorry, not Inception, um, The Prestige, I go, oh, wow, yeah, he's good in this. But like I never think about that during the movie of a DiCaprio film, like when I'm watching Wolf of Wall Street, I just engrossed in the movie. So he really like Ringo in the Beatles. He like plays to the song or plays to the movie, you know, like hmm. really doesn't try to go over the top. Yeah, I totally agree. Unless it's needed. Of yeah. course. Uh, DiCaprio was also great in the, the Departed. Another great, great movie, I think. Oh, yeah. So for me, I said it was harder for me to think of an acting performance I wanted to bring up. So I fired up my old IMDb account. I don't use it all the, at all these days, mm. but I used to rate every movie I watched for a while. So, you know, just to get some ideas, I went over the movies I used to, I, I rated for. That's commitment. Yeah. That is yeah. commitment. Uh, that's method uh, podcasting. <laughs> so uh, I went over the movies and there's one that really popped out to me once I, I, I laid my eyes on its poster. Uh, I want to talk about Michael Park's performance in Kevin Smith's Red State from 2011. Mm. Uh, so the moment I saw the poster for that movie, I was like, I remember the first time I saw it and how much I loved Parks acting on it. Because if you've seen this movie, I know, Barry, you've seen it. But Peter, have you watched Red State? I haven't seen it. I've never even heard of it. It's not a A-list movie. <laughs> and, and honestly, it's, it's, it's not a great movie at all. Like, I like it, but it's not amazing. And still, I watched it three times and mostly because of Parks' acting. Um, and I watched a bunch of other things uh, Michael Parks did afterwards because he really, really amazed me. And... Just to make sure that everyone knows who Michael Parks is, here's a few things he's done. I I think he had a bunch of uh, roles in Tarantino's movies. He was in Death Proof. He was in Django Unchained. He was in Kill Bill 1 and 2. I think in most of Tarantino's movies, he plays that sheriff character. And in Kill Bill, he does that sheriff character. And he also plays that old guy who tells him a Thurman where to find Bill or Bill, as he says it. And... He was in From Dusk Till Dawn, he was in Planet Terror, he was in Kevin Smith's Red State, and he was in Kevin Smith's Tusk as well. And in Red State, in this movie, he plays Aben Cooper, who's a leader of a religious family or cult, kind of inspired by the Phelps family in America. And the movie is kind of a horror movie, and the Cooper family is kind of a radical, violent cult kind of thing. And like I said, that the, the movie isn't great. Like, I always felt that there's... Two things in this movie that are way above the rest, which kind of make the the rest feel a bit off, which are Michael Parks and John Goodman, who who plays the guy, the, the good guy in the movie. And Parks, like I said, he plays the leader of a cult, and he's 
maniacal. He's crazy. He's he's scary, and his performance throughout the movie is. I thought it was hypnotic. Like I couldn't take my eyes off of him whenever it was on screen, and he was just disturbing. Like he makes you feel like that character really exists, and it's threatening you somehow, even though it's just a character in a movie. And something about the way he's acting really, really makes you feel like he's having fun doing that character. Even though everything that character makes you feel is the opposite of fun, it seems like he's enjoying it. And, and it's just fun to see. And like I, I mentioned it before, I don't see myself as someone who can really identify good acting, but sometimes you, you just know it when you see it. And, and I think that this is a great example of that. That's cool. Nice indie pick. Yeah, I think it's amazing there. Like, definitely that's... I don't want to say the only reason to watch this movie, but he, he does do a spectacular work. I think the story, the idea, the, the premise of the movie is interesting. But, you know, Kevin Smith, he has great ideas, but the execution is not always great. So it's not a great movie. Yeah, I, I got to say that one of the things I like most about this movie is to listen to Kevin Smith tell afterwards how he imagined it it will end. And, yeah. and that's, that makes the movie much better. Yeah, if you're going to watch Red State, then later go on YouTube and find Kevin Smith's alternate ending idea he had for the movie. It's funny. <laughs> So, today, we're discussing War by U2. And U2 is an Irish rock band that started playing together in 1976, while all the band members were still teenagers. The band members are Bono on vocals and rhythm guitars, uh, The Edge, cool name, <laughs> on lead guitar and keyboards, Adam Clayton on, on bass, and Larry Mullen Jr. on drums. And yeah, I, I always knew that two of the members were Bono and The Edge, and I was kind of hoping that the other two members would have funny names, but I was disappointed to find out that they don't. Like the Vertice or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> War is the band's third album. It came out in 1983, and while their first two albums, Boy and October, were about growing up or religion, this one has a lot of anti-war and other political themes in it. In their first two albums, the band played, as far as I've read, a more minimalist style of music, while here they turn to a style that is bigger and, and plays well on a big stage. It consists of 10 songs. It's about 43 minutes long. It has, I would say, two major hits on it. Uh, there's Sunday, Bloody Sunday, and uh, New Year's Eve, which are two of the, the three singles that were released from this album. I'm calling these major hits because they're the ones I, I recognized on my first listen. Mm -hmm. The band went on a tour to support this album, which was called War Tour. It included 110 shows. Um, it kicked off two days before the album was released. And I think the, the progression of the tour is interesting because they started by playing in clubs. They moved on to halls. And by the end of the tour, they were playing in arenas, which you know makes me think that they really exploded and became big as this album was released and they were touring to support it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting to mention that U2 has sold a huge amount of albums, I think um, between 150 million and 170 million albums, which is um, um, an amazing amount of albums. They won more Grammys than any other band, and they're number 22 in Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Artists of All Times list. Oh, wow. And as we've mentioned at the end of our last episode, uh, when we previewed the subject, both Peter and I never really knew U2 before listening to this album, and yet we really dislike them. And Barrio, you were kind of neutral and indifferent. And we didn't talk about our impressions of this album throughout the last couple of weeks, 
So I really can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. So what do you guys think of this album? Go ahead, Peter. Okay. All right. Um, it's been super hard take to it, keep... Take it all out. Take it all out. <laughs> it's been super hard to like um, keep my thoughts to myself. But so I listened to it a few times. Like the first time I listened to it, I, w- I thought, okay, it's sound. You know, it's got beats and stuff. Got a tempo. Technically, so, it's music. You know, it can't be that bad. But... Like okay, oh, okay, so I'm not a fan. It it, it kind of sucked to listen to, <laughs> honestly. But the fun was just trying to pick out things that I could say that were good about it. So here, here's a few things I thought were good about it. One, the track length was good. Perfect. Like ten songs for a forty minute album is is a good track yeah. length. That's well done. <laughs> oh my god, that's two, so insulting. Two. <laughs> No, no, they'll get, they'll get, it gets slightly the same. <laughs> like the nu- um, the number of tracks <laughs> is good. The content, eh, meh. But the number, The name wow. of the band okay. is really easy to type into Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, Here, here's the second. Um, the, they've got the right instruments. So like <laughs> guitar, drums, bass, vocals. That's good. That, that works. I'll say the bass player wasn't bad. There was some good bass things in there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say also some guitar sounds were good. In Two Hearts Beaters 1, there was like a kind of a nice delay effect there. That was good. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's about it um, <laughs> for the good things. Okay, so the things I really kind of got up on my grill were just a lot of the tracks felt very repetitive. Like they just, just, they went on and on and on. And even from track to track, sometimes I just thought, is this the same song as the one before? Like it just felt so similar, um, which isn't always a bad thing. Like no, orchestras always, all yeah. sound like orchestras, you know, like sometimes if you've got a sound, you stick with it, but this is not, not the best. Like it, for instance, in the, the refugee, they, I think it was that, either the the refugee or drowning man. They, um, there was this drum. I want to say solo where he was instead of playing proper drums, he would play sort of like plastic buckets or something like yeah. that. It was a different sound. Like I just thought, I don't know, I, I don't know who that is in benefit for. Like <laughs> I, because I didn't like it, and I don't know. Like, is it just to differentiate that that it's not the song before it and not the song after it, that this is the one with the bucket bit, because that's <laughs> what I used it for. So not a fan of that bit. You're hitting and, so many um, of my points, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, the singing was, I'm just going to go for it. Um, it just felt like he didn't believe what he was singing. It was very performative, which I mean, singing is a performance, but it felt like over the top, like, I don't know why, but I felt like his hands were going up above his head when he was singing for some reason. <laughs> like, you know, and um, it's just a lot of extended notes and just very indulgent sort of singing, you know, and it didn't feel tight. It just felt annoying. Like it felt like singing made to annoy someone. Sure, there were some points where he hit some good high notes. <laughs> um, for instance, in I think it was 
like a song. He he hit some good sort of higher pitched notes there, and it would be a difficult song to sing. I I couldn't sing it, but again, like the bucket solo, like I don't know who it was benefiting. You know, like it can be hard to recreate, but I mean, like some really bad pieces of art are also hard to recreate. So yeah, so it wasn't wasn't that good. And um, I I'll say the last maybe three songs they kind of were less annoying but no not very recognizable yeah. so maybe that if you want to count that as a compliment almost so <laughs> yeah yeah not not a fun time and every time i listened to it i was thinking man i wish i was listening to something else like i i, I wanted to get to know the songs better and i wanted to understand their appeal but i just i felt honestly just like it was just time spent not listening to good music <laughs> How do you follow? It's a barrier, like yeah. How, how do you how do you follow that in any in any direction? <laughs> I didn't like it either. No how way. How about you, Non? Hey. <laughs> you know, I I'm, I think Peter said pretty much everything, but I'll I'll emphasize a couple of things from my perspective. I didn't know that I didn't like Bono, but apparently I don't. As a, as a singer, which is probably for me this that, that that's like I where where I get the 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 human emotion of that song, the human connection. Maybe. Yeah, like that that's what helps me see myself in in the song and, and kind of recognize certain elements. And it was just empty. I don't know. Like it's it, he has his own style and it's pretty faceless. I don't know. It's, it's, it's very technical and it's not even that good technically. It's not bad technically, but it's not amazing or interesting. It's not interesting. But I totally agree. He, he just doesn't sound good. Oh. It's, he does this weird thing at the end of notes where he sort of like, he loses the vowel a little bit and sort of just goes on a bit of a, Hey, you know, like, and I, I just can't sign off on that. That, that <laughs> rubs me the wrong way. I gave it a chance. Like I, I gave it really a fair chance, and I tried listening to it in in different scenarios and and see if if it works. If like yeah. Bono's voice works for me, and it just doesn't. It's so I don't know, just so bland. I think it's it's not interesting. Yeah. Regarding the actual songs, I completely agree with you, Peter. I. I was trying to think maybe it's uh, one of the, those symptoms of, of starting to listen to music when, when you're old. Huh. Mm. And <laughs> the, every track sounded the same. And it doesn't go anywhere. It kind of tells one point and that's it. I got to say, Peter, that <laughs> I'm really glad that you said it because I kept feeling it, but I, I tried to suppress it because I thought that it's it's not respectful. But while listening to it, I kept thinking, Man, I want to listen to something else. <laughs> like uh, yeah. uh, I, I listened to it uh, today before we started recording, and um, I just I just sent in on uh, the uh, System of a Down, a band that I really like, and and you know they they broken apart like 15 years ago, and they just released a couple of new songs, and I listened to them, and I kept <laughs> listening to to Bono, and and I was like, I really rather listen to System of a Down right now, hmm. like mm-hmm. really. Yeah anything else there were there were parts that were okay and and kind of nice but all in all i'm i'm pretty (laughs) it made me it made me miss the music that i like so yeah it's kind of (laughs) like made other made me appreciate other music yeah yeah exactly (laughs) you know so what did you like other than the number of tracks (laughs) so i'll let you know i I totally agree with most of your points, but I didn't feel like I'm wasting my time by listening to it. I 
I don't know. I I kind of I had patience for this album for some reason. I yeah, not 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 in the way that like oh I wish I could have the forty minutes back. Yeah, more just like I'm looking at my Spotify and I'm looking at two album titles and I'm just going oh you know it's like, like eating broccoli when you can have steak. Yeah, yeah, it is. You choose broccoli, except now. <laughs> it doesn't confer any health. Benefits. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In the first week of listening to this album, I wrote down a few notes. Um, so on my third listen of War by U2, I wrote this. I wrote, I don't hate it, but I don't think it's for me. <laughs> I don't like the style. I don't like the atmosphere. I'm reading about the history of the band and about other albums that they've released, and I find it somewhat interesting. Um, not enough maybe to get me to listen to more of their stuff, but interesting. On my fourth listen, I wrote this. This album, in almost every aspect, is the opposite of what I'm looking for. <laughs> I don't like the sound, I don't like the lyrics, I don't like Bono's vocals, or the simplistic way each part in each song is written. But it's an okay album. Uh, I then wrote about something that I, I, I like about this album. I wrote this. I like the elaborate production. Yep. Like, yep. mostly, each part of each song on the album, like the bass, the drums, the guitars, play very simple parts, usually over and over and over and over again. And the overall dynamic range in this album is fairly narrow. The songs don't build up or down too much. They usually stay on the same level throughout, but the production or, or arrangement of the whole thing is very interesting. There's a lot going on at once. There's a lot of layering, especially when it comes to the guitars and sometimes also the vocals. I think that that was the writing philosophy of this album. They played a bunch of simple parts that all came together to create the full sound of this album. Like at almost any point in the album, you can hear over the drums and the bass, a guitar strumming chords, and then another guitar playing longer chords, uh, you know, with a lot of echo or reverb. And then to add to that, there's a kind of, you know, dry guitar repeating a single note and a few other guitar parts that are way in the background, but they're, it all comes together to build the, the sound of this album, which makes the music interesting to listen to, um, I'll say that I don't think that layering a bunch of parts is an excuse for writing the most simple parts ever, but still, it's a positive. <laughs> That's day four. <laughs> I'll, I'll give them that. Some some bands never master how to make an orchestra out of out of their band. You know, um, I'll give them that. Like the the production isn't too bad. I mean, yeah, I think it's good. But when you have like six guitar parts playing on, at the same time, it doesn't mean that. Each of them can play just one note. Make it interesting. There's yeah. so much more that you can... I don't know. But maybe maybe it's a personal preference. But anyway, on my fifth listen, I wrote this. Um, this album is okay. It gets stuck in my head every now and again. I don't love it, though. Especially not the music writing on the album. Mm. I then mentioned that, obviously, it's a personal thing. And obviously, a lot of people do like this album. So that's my personal opinion. And I wrote, it feels as if a very minimal amount of thought went into writing these songs, except when it came to the layering and the production uh, and the many guitar mm. effects and sounds used throughout the album. Then I wrote, I might not have cared too much about that, about how simple and boring everything is if this album was by any other band, but every interview or live show by YouTube that I'm checking out gives out the vibe that they feel like they think that they're wildly creative musical geniuses. So that bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's specifically about Bono and The Edge. Larry and Adam seemed very nice in all of these interviews. But honestly, like if you're writing the most simplistic music ever, don't don't act like you've just broken the music world apart and, and you've discovered something new. I don't know. 
Um, and on my seventh listen, uh, my last note, I wrote, I can think of plenty of albums that aren't my style at all, albums that I never expected to enjoy based on the genre or the style that I fell in love with because of the overall feel or, or, or because something about them moves me. But this isn't one of those albums. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad album. I don't think it's for me. When you said my last note, I thought it was going to be like goodbye world or something. <laughs> <laughs> so to summarize, after a few more listens, there were times when I was listening to this album and I was you know, tapping along or singing along and stuff. That's true. And I, I, I was tapping along. I never dreaded putting on this album or anything. But sometimes I even listen to this album twice in, in the same day. On the first few listens, I couldn't stop criticizing it. But later, I kind of enjoyed it, kind of as much as I could. But to me, it's a very, very middle-of-the-road album. Not, not, nothing mm. great. I was at pains to sort of list all the things I didn't like about it. But as soon as I realized I really didn't like it, like, it was pretty down there for me, I kind of stopped criticizing it because I'm like, well, I don't like it. Like, I don't have to yeah. prove to yeah. myself I don't like yeah. it. When I stopped doing that, then I found small pieces where I thought, okay, that's an interesting concept or something. Yeah, I totally agree. I came to this album with the idea that I don't like you too. I never liked them. So the first few days I was kind of looking for stuff I didn't like just to, to prove to myself that I'm right. Mm. This album did it for us. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like, look, all the songs go together like in terms of like, it's not like they've been picked out of a best of or anything like they do sound like a cohesive album you know like yeah. there's a concept there so like people who do like it i can understand some bits are catchy and some bits or, or they it goes together at a dinner party or something like that so it's not the worst it's just and there's a lot of people who like it oh yeah there's a lot of people who like it i can understand as background music you you might like having that sunday bloody yeah. sunday you know like just in the background you know at a, when you're having drinks or something yeah yeah that's what i kept thinking throughout the album that this would be nice as as a background music that you don't really have to pay attention to but to to kind of put your whole attention and and try to enjoy it it's kind of like I don't know, watching the traffic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay in the background because it's kind of, there's nothing unexpected going on. There's not going to be any surprises or any deeper parts that you have to pay attention to. So it's okay in the background. But other than that, I totally agree. It's, it's kind of boring. <laughs> Do you guys want to bring up any specific songs? Well, okay, let's go through my favorite because I don't think it will be your favorite if you do have one. Okay, okay. I do have a favorite song. I want to know what yours. Okay. My favorite was the second song called Seconds. I just, I just found the the bass of that very catchy like it was like doo, 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 can you play it bow, 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 bow. yeah sure bow, 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 bow. it's like a kindergartner playing the drums yeah it's just he's sitting there and banging the, the drum over and over again <laughs> It's a second to say goodbye, say goodbye, oh, oh, oh. That's uh, The Edge singing, one of the only songs where he's doing the vocals. Yeah, and the thing is, I actually don't mind The Edge singing as much. I didn't notice it's not Bono. Ah, <laughs> uh, really? He does have a similar <laughs> yeah. kind of way to do it, but... 
Yeah. It is, it is in Pato? No, uh, the first few lines, that's uh, The Edge, the guitar player. Ah. He sounds exactly like Bono, though. Yeah. I honestly <laughs> didn't know. He sounds exactly, but he doesn't do the do the over-the-top yeah. as much. It's not a bad song. <laughs> it's not my, it's, it, this one isn't my favorite one. What do you like about it? Uh, can you explain why it's your favorite I song? Just, I, just like, I just like the bass. Mm. Like, it's just a very soothing... I can imagine putting that in a movie bit of, like, you know, oh, big change in someone's life. Like, do, mm. do, 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 cool. do. Like, I can imagine that. And that's kind of what I was thinking in my head. Like, that, that's a nice transition sort of song. And, um, yeah, like, that, that, the bass really carried it for me. And, in fact, the bass kind of carried the album for me. I thought the bass hmm. wasn't too bad. Cool. My least favorite, um, it was originally the song after. It was originally New Year's Day because I just, they, I just couldn't remember i'd listen to it and then i couldn't remember what i listened to mm. and it was that bad but then i actually found one that really i didn't like okay. and that was the refugee okay that, so it's uh, not my favorite song so i was scared you're gonna choose my favorite one <laughs> <laughs> um the refugee is just a just the horrible song again it's just it sounds like a, the drummer is just a kindergartner beating a drum <laughs> Just a oh yeah, yeah, I hate it. Yeah, I didn't I like this song. Early, guys. <laughs> There's a line that I, I kind of agree with, but it kind of sounds so condescending. He says, um, her papa go to war, he gonna fight, but he don't know what for. Which I agree that wars, they're meaningless and they're just dumb and everything, but I don't know, to say that, oh yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing, that just sounds so condescending to me. Maybe he does know what he's doing. I hate when people say, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And yeah, it's just an annoying song. It's kind of um the most basic melody, the most basic drumming, the most basic everything. I've already forgotten but it. it feels condescending in the way that like oh, this song has so, so much meaning, so... I don't know, I just don't like this song at all. I've already forgotten how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I go next? Yes. So, What's your favorite song, Anon? What's your favorite U2 song? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Before I started listening to this album for the first time, I went over the, the list of the songs, and there was one that stood out to me. It's Two Hearts Beat As One. I think it's the seventh track, and I, was, I wasn't expecting much from this album to begin with. So when I saw the name of that song, I thought it's going to be a horrible, kind of a, a kind of an awful ballad or something, you know, two hearts beat as one. But even if it wasn't a ballad, that song name just made me cringe. Mm. I, don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. But I have to say, I think it ended up being my favorite song because all of the other songs have a bit of a feel to them, which is hard to describe, but the words that come to my mind are condescending, preachy, and annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and this one kind of doesn't have that feel. It doesn't feel annoying. It's, well, I'll play the song in the background so you'll know what I'm talking about. It doesn't feel as annoying and condescending like the rest. It feels kind of like a fun song, 
a bit disco-y, a bit up bit. Yeah, the the bit I liked about this was the guitar. I thought it was a nice sort of drumming pattern and there was a good effect in there as well. Yeah, so because it's kind of a more fun song, it's the song I, I enjoyed most out of this album. I'm not going to say it's a great song, but it kind of felt like this yeah. song, unlike the others, doesn't have a bunch of uh, political commentary But I later read that this song is about the divide between the two Irelands. <laughs> but I'm kind of trying to forget about that because I, don't, I just don't need... I don't know, the, the political side of it kind of ruins it for me. So I'm, I'm just left it out of my head. Yeah. I don't need it. Yeah. Not a bad pick, I think. No, it's danceable. Yeah. It's fun. It's okay. Well, I guess you, we did heard it unknowingly a lot of times before. Because yeah. the, it sounds like so many other songs but maybe other songs sound like like this one I think this is the third single from this album let me make sure yeah it is so there's two there were three singles from this album there's Sunday Bloody Sunday and New Year's Eve which are songs I, I recognize them immediately they were big and then the third single was this so I guess I did listen to this at some place before let me let me mention my least favorite song other than the refugee I What's the name of the last song on the album? 40. 40. You're right. And I don't know. I, I've listened to that song as, you know, just as many times as the other songs in this album, but I can't, I never recognize it. I'm always surprised that it's there. Yeah. It's, it's, it never stuck in my head. I, it's nothing to me. I don't know why. It's just another track. It's like a hidden track to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hidden in plain sight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I always kept, I kept comparing that to the song 39 by Queen. And I love 39, but it, in, in the album, um, but it's on, I'm pretty sure it's on A Night at the Opera. It is. It, it, it's like a bit of an off, it's like an off kilter song, like a bit odd. And I was like, oh, maybe this is going to be like, the one song that I really love or something <laughs> that disappointed me. What so, about you, Barrio? Favorite yeah. or least favorite song? Um, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I think the only song that I liked <laughs> was Sunday Bloody Sunday. And only because I think I heard so many um, covers, like funny covers for that. Yeah, Richard Cheese has a cover of yes. that. Yes, <laughs> like I, I kept, I kept singing to myself, you know, Sunday, bloody Sunday, ay Chihuahua. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'm gonna play it. Uno, dos, tres, <laughs> this uh, Richard Cheese, he's um, you know, kind of a joke artist. He does lounge jazz songs. You know, he takes very well-known songs and he does them like that. This is already better. Oh yeah. <laughs> Make it go away. How long? How long? Yeah, so if you've listened to this version many times before you've listened to the real version, then yeah, it's better. Tonight. Let's talk about Sunday Bloody Sunday a bit more. Yeah. I think 
uh, first of all, let me ask you this. How do you like it as, a, as an opener? It's the first song on the album. It was one of the singles. It's one of the two songs I recognized when I first listened to the album. Do you think it's a, it's a good opener for the album? Yeah, I, I think so. It's a good start. It's a, it's, if, if any song is catchy there and, and has more appeal, it's, it's, pro, it's probably this one. That's true. It's, it's a very catchy song. Yeah, so, so it, it does help to, to kickstart it. And then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the two other catchy songs, which are, I think, New Year's Eve and um, Two Hearts Beat as One, they just don't have that opener feel to them, you know? They're, they're more upbeat, they're more bigger. So I think, I think out of these, yeah, Sunday Bloody Sunday is a good opener. What do you think, Pete? I, I, I kind of would like, if I had to pick, like, arrange it, probably put seconds first. It's not like a high billing one, but it, I think it's a good catchy one. And then put Sunday Bloody Sunday maybe as the fifth track, like the last track on the first side. Because hmm. it does have like, because of the repeating Sunday Bloody Sunday, kind of feels a little bit like you're ending something. I don't know. So, I, but not, I don't think it would be good at the very end because not many people would ever hear it. Um, but I think just at the end of the first side would be okay. But it's not too bad as the first as the first. It's not track. too bad. It's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I read something about how the, the 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 edge wrote the main guitar riff for this song. I read that he just went through an argument with his girlfriend and he was kind of in a bad place in his life in which he was doubting his own um, songwriting abilities. So he said something along the lines of he channeled his fear, frustration, and self-loathing into a piece of music. Now I'll play the song and You know, with that in mind, let me know if you feel fear, frustration, and self-loathing in, in specifically the guitar riff, okay? That's a tough ask anyway, but yeah. Oh man, it's a, it's a live version. This is, this is fine. I always thought it was a, a, a party song, kind of like uh, Waiting for Tonight, Whoa, by Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> no, it sounds like Mr. Brightside by The Killers, just that, hmm. that start. I'm Mr. Brightside. <laughs> well, in that guitar riff, do, do you at all sense fear, frustration and self-loathing? Feels a little bit... melancholic yeah, I guess maybe maybe I can feel a bit maybe frustration it feels very smooth yeah it does it does it feels on the scale of negative and positive feelings I'd say it's it leans a bit to, towards the positive something about it feels happy or excited I don't know yeah maybe like if you take the the song as a whole with the lyrics and you know the the army style drums in the background maybe there's something about the fear I don't know but I not self-loathing I don't know it just uh, I'm not getting those feelings from the guitar part at all maybe maybe you know the edge is more optimistic than we thought and you know his dark times is <laughs> just lighter and Sunday, Sunday. it feels like the softest hard rock song <laughs> I've ever I've ever heard yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did you, did you read about the Bloody Sunday? No, I intended to, but I forgot. 
Can you tell us anything about yeah, it? Yeah, I can even read it to you. Bloody Sunday, or the Bugside Massacre, was a massacre on, th- on January 1972. Uh, British soldiers shot 26 unarmed civilians during a protest march against internment without trial. 14 people died, 13 were killed outright, while the death of another man four months later attributed journeys. Yeah, all of those shots were Catholic. The march had been organized by Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association. So that leans negative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah with with <laughs> some context, that song does lean towards the negative side. And I could have guessed that based on everything I know about you too. But that do 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 that really says it all. <laughs> that like if yeah. you didn't get that twenty six million from the the do you know then you were really not paying attention. Yeah, that second chord, the the way it breaks it down. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like the whole song with context. Obviously, it's a negative song. It's it's a political song. But just a guitar riff. If you just isolate that and play it alone, it just doesn't elicit those feelings for me. I don't know. When when we listen to the Beach Boys' Pat Sounds Barrio, you said that you know all of the songs kind of blend together for you, and, and I can see why. But here, I think it's way more pronounced. Like I think that all the songs sound the same; they're all on the same level of energy, more or less. Like there's two hearts beat as one, which is a bit more a beat, and there's uh, seconds, which you mentioned earlier, Peter, which is a bit lighter, maybe. Yeah. But all in all, they're all around the same kind of level. And I, I don't know, I found that for most of the songs, reading the name of the song doesn't help me remember what the song sounds like or how it goes. So when I was looking for a specific part of a song, I played the song, you know, it still could have been almost any song on the album to me. So I skipped ahead a bit and still I usually couldn't recognize the song even after I listened to the albums like 15 times. And I did give this album a bunch of attention. Like twice I sat down with this album with the lyrics without any distractions and I, I listened to the album. Other than that, almost every day, is sometimes sometimes twice a day. So I don't know, I usually get to know an album very well after an experience like that. But this one... All the songs, except maybe three, stayed very vague in my mind. I I usually pride myself on, like, getting to know an album and thinking about the track listing and, like, differentiating between the songs. I usually do pride myself on that because I like to get to know albums. I usually listen to them in order. and You know, like, I I kind of enjoy that. But um, this time, like, honestly, if I... Um, want to identify the difference between red light and surrender. I just find that very difficult. Like I, I just <laughs> couldn't hum it to you. So Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even remember there was a song here called Red Light. And that's not the case. Like if I listen to like what's an album I listened to recently um for the first time? I oh, okay. I listened to that Hail to the Thief album. Not super recently, maybe like last mm-hmm. maybe three weeks or something, four weeks. Radiohead. Radiohead, yeah. Hail to the Thief. And automatically one listen and i go oh wow i remember like you know the great riff in um um go to sleep or like the awesome singing in two plus two equals five or like the crazy heavy sort of synth sound in myxomatosis you know like i get that from the first listen you know like there's a few songs that blend together but i can already identify my favorites and sort of you know but this like after one listen i just thought like was that one 40 minute track or like you know, what happened, so. Yeah, we've done a few albums before, maybe four or five albums, and usually, you know, after I give them the culture quest treatment, 
I kind of end up really knowing them well without even intending to. Like I never expected to really remember all the songs from um, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young's Deja Vu or a live album by Queen, but I can almost recite the names of each song, like the, the, the order of the songs by heart. And here, nothing stuck in my mind. You know, like I really tried to get to know this album, but... Maybe it just wasn't interesting to me, but like I don't remember mm. the names of almost any of the songs, only the big ones. Honestly, if you like you two, I- I'm surprised you've made it through this episode. Oh, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with liking you two, not like, at all. Look, compared to some songs who've literally like that have no sort of enthusiasm behind them, they're just, just made on SoundCloud or something like that. Look, this is like there's. The, I'm sure the musicians are very like talented and you know like it's it's something that I wouldn't like I wouldn't walk out of a uh, out of a restaurant if they played it you know like it's totally fine like it's not like we're trashing it a little bit but it's like we are know, we have our tastes yeah. but um it's not it's not like it fails as an album it's just it's just not a very good album it's not a bad album I can totally see why some people would like it it's just I said it earlier, it's the exact opposite of what I'm looking for when I'm listening Mm. to music. Yeah. Yeah. We we should have brought a a guest. Oh, man, we should have. I would would love to hear, um, you know, someone who gets excited by this album and and what... What are the, the reasons? What makes it, it work for him? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that could have been a, a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Because I got to say that probably um, our most boring discussions is when we all agree on something. Well, yeah. honestly, before we went into it, I was thinking, what's the chance all three of us don't like it? Like, surely we'll like it. And then after listening to it, I thought, okay, chances are pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah. one of you is going to like it. I really thought we are going to have the whole spectrum. I got to say that because we're, we're, pre- we're pretty much aligned on so many other things that we've done here here in this quest, then I was pretty sure that, <laughs> that we, we will all dislike it. I, I think I'm the most positive one towards this album and and i'm not really positive about it <laughs> like yeah. the best thing i could say about this album is it's not bad <laughs> the edge has described you two as essentially a live band did you guys see any live performances by them did you check it out mm, no um no the the feeling that sentence gives me is just i hope He's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched a, a full concert of theirs from 1983, which was part of the war tour in, I don't know, Devor, California. I don't know how to say it. And then I watched um, bits and pieces from other shows throughout their career, um, stuff from recent years as well. And I thought that the 1983 concerts sounded pretty bad like a lot of noise with Bono yelling into the microphone, but it wasn't the best recording quality or anything. So maybe it's that. But the other shows I've seen, um, they sounded pretty good, pretty good actually. And, you know, in the later ones I saw, they had a little less 80s in their sound. They had a more modern sound, especially in the drums. I thought they, they, they played the songs alive very similar to the way they're played on the album so i i don't know when i when the edge described themselves as a, a live band i figured i don't know maybe their live versions are bigger and longer and more elaborate like jams or something in the middle yeah but no they're pretty much the same thing so i don't know but because they're simple songs because there's nothing unexpected i thought they were very danceable songs you know I, yeah, I, yeah like i think i could enjoy attending a U2 show, being in the crowd and, and just dancing because, 
you know, you just have to get into the groove of the the drums and bass. Maybe maybe ignore Bono. Just have fun. This is absolutely insane, and I cannot believe I haven't mentioned it. But in American Psycho, the book, they go to a U2 concert. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say that you've <laughs> attended a U2 show. <laughs> um, I totally forgot about it. But, yeah, that's the only concert they go to, and it's a U2 concert. So, um, But they kept calling um, The Edge the ledge um because they just didn't they just weren't interested in it at all so <laughs> the ledge <laughs> they were saying oh, is the joke. ledge the guitarist the edge what <laughs> a like, dumb name uh... <laughs> so in terms of closing remarks in short this experience was a bit of a challenge you know like to see if we can maybe change our feelings towards something that we are either indifferent to or don't like actively so Now, I have to say U2 is not just a vague concept that I used to make fun of without really knowing what it really is. It's, it's, it's not a vague concept anymore. I kind of know what the band is and what they're about. And I have to say that I found that while now I might not be as comfortable making fun of them, they are not too different from what I expected them to be. You know, like yeah. what I thought they would be is... condescending and preachy simple music with annoying feel to them to, to, to the music with an annoying atmosphere and I think I think I was right about that I, I was about to agree with you like I, I actually think the same in terms of they were what I was expecting but I didn't really get as much of the preachiness or I did but it wasn't mm. I didn't really care as much I found I just thought it'd be light sort of like pop trying to be rock and mm. It felt like that. Like, it, it felt like a this bit. weird, I guess pop trying to be rock isn't a bad thing because, like, that you can actually have pop, like, music that's good and rock music that's good and, and everywhere in between is, that's good. But it yeah. felt like it was, like, trying to sort of be a hard rock band but not have any of the hard rock music to go with it. And it kind of felt like that. Like, it was very, very, like, soft hard rock, you know? If you actually analyze each track, like there's nothing there that's, you know, hard rock. It's all just... Not know, much. Yeah. So honestly, I, I have some more respect for, for the band, for you too, but I'm not impressed. Um, it's not for me. I don't hate this album. Like, uh, I, I totally think that on a scale of one to 10, I would rank each of its aspects individually, like the sound, the feel, the, the, the techniques, uh, the songwriting and everything. fairly low like between two and four at the most but as the saying goes the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and so even though everything every bit of it ranks pretty low for me i would honestly rank this album as a whole or somewhere between five and six that's fair five and six out of ten sounds really bad but i i, I don't think so like i don't think five or six is is a bad ranking like people tend to think that anything below seven is awful It really isn't. Like five is, is, you know, the middle of the scale. It's where the good and the bad average out. I don't usually rank things because it's so, it's, it's such a personal thing. And I don't, I kind of find it to be meaningless. But I'd like to mention that, you know, to me, a, a lot of good albums that I often listen to are albums I would rank between six and seven, you know, because it has to be a really good album to get to eight. And anything over that, like a nine or a 10, needs to be really special. So... Uh, I don't think a five or a six is bad for this album. I'll mention again that I really do believe that seeing you two live can be a fun experience, but 
at this point in time, I don't think I'll listen to this album or to anything else by you too soon. Mm. I'll let you know if this changes because in the past I've listened to stuff that I didn't like just to find out, you know, months or years later that getting to know them and getting to know the album and giving it time to sit made me warm up to it. So maybe down the line, I'll give you to another go. But as of now, yeah. I agree that every part of the album I didn't like and I'd rank it pretty low, um, like a two out of 10. But then putting the album together as a package, it works as a as a package as an album. Like it, it, it it's fine. Like I probably would still put it below a five. I'd probably put it as a four altogether. But like I wouldn't cancel the tour or anything like that. Like it works <laughs> perfectly fine as an album. It's serviceable, you know. So yeah, I got one question: Men on Wire or U2's War? <laughs> this man has the question. I'm gonna go for. I'm gonna go for U2. Oh, actually, no. Uh, the question is, what is worse or what is better? <laughs> I was gonna go with what is better, and I was about to say U2. But, oh, that's tough. That's tough. What are you thinking on? Hmm, I honestly like listening to the album versus watching that movie. I enjoyed watching that movie more. I, I thought it was a, a lovely story. I thought it was great, but I thought it had a lot of problems in terms of um, Philippe Petit, the guy who did everything. You know, after 40 years of telling that story over and over and over again, that story kind of blew up and became annoying to listen to like he sounds full of himself but all in all that story uh, uh, is great i think it's a great story who doesn't who, who yeah, wouldn't be proud like that in, a bit more than yeah who, who wouldn't be proud in you know breaking into the world trade center towers and and walking on a tightrope between them it's a cool great story and like, i watched a lot of other stuff by him and he didn't sound as full of himself in, in other documentaries or in his TED talk. So I kind of thought that uh, James Marsh, the guy who made the movie, kind of asked him or, or provoked him to be more you know, provocative or, or, and big and tell the story in a more dramatic way. Not, so, sounding, not sounding full of yourself in a TED talk isn't a cheat. Yeah. <laughs> that should give you That's another a good point. TED talk for that. <laughs> so when I put the experience of watching that movie versus the experience of listening to that album... I'll take that movie. But, you know, when you ask this question, in my mind, I thought you were asking, if you have to choose one or the other for the rest of your life, I don't want to watch that movie ever again. You know, I've watched it. I've made the most out of it. I'll probably never watch Man on Wire again. But, and I don't plan to listen to you 2 again. But if I have to be stuck with one of them, I'll take you 2 Yeah, you can always play you 2 in the background while doing something else. Yeah, I totally agree. Peter, what, what, what would you I, take I'm now? I'm Man on Wire because I remember now, like, I, the attitude of Philippe Petit didn't annoy me as much as you. Um, and and I remember during it, I, I didn't mind it. And then as soon as it went to credits, I was like, oh, this is going to be a bad podcast. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually, I legitimately liked it at the time. And then it's kind of like scrolling through Twitter, like you enjoy it at the time and then you realize what time you've wasted. That's how I felt about it. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, that was good. And then I was like, yeah. But then I got to the end and I was like, well, cool. <laughs> so, but I'm still taking it on wire. I'd take you too. Way. Still doesn't make it into the quake. Let's see. I might be able to convince you. <laughs> Even for stuff we don't really like, we usually have this like veil of ignorance. Like, oh, who knows? You're like, <laughs> but this is so tough. <laughs> you know, 
it will be funny. Maybe we will all, as a joke, will tip our hat and, and accidentally it will get into the quick. As we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote. We'll decide whether or not U2's war has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide. We will each have a chance to persuade each other and state our case for or against war's induction to the quig, and then we will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. The vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. Before we have a vote, I recently mentioned um, that I always forget to mention that you can check the quig on our website, uh, culturequestpodcast.com. And well, until now, if you went to our website and clicked on the quig button in the middle of the page, you'd get sent to this Google Sheets file with all of the info about the quig. But now it'll take you to a crisp new page that we've made. It's really slick, almost GeoCities level of aesthetic design and elegance. Oh, wow. So go and check it out. Yeah, it's very... Very high tech. Uh, <laughs> so now, my esteemed friends, let's have a vote. Um, I think this might be a good introduction to 80s pop rock. Like, it's a period of music that I'm a little less familiar with. I know a few albums, but never gone too deeply into it. So, I don't know, this might push you into listening to a bunch of new music. Maybe you'll realize you like that sound and style and, and kind of period of time in the rock music history. And in my personal opinion, you know, I don't like the sound. I don't like the vocals or the lyrics or the overall feel of the album. And I still don't think it's too bad. So maybe you won't mind those things about the album as much as I do. And you like the album much more than I did. So maybe the fact that we all hated everything about this album, but I think we kind of summarized it as it's not that bad. Maybe it's good. Um, but other than that, it's all down to personal preferences. There's a really good chance I'll never listen to this or, or any other U2 album ever again. If you need to block out sound um, at the gym or something... <laughs> white uh, noise or a white noise and you, generator and you don't for have exactly a white noise three minutes. Generator, <laughs> this, is, this will do you well. So, look, it, I don't, I'm not a fan, but... Um, it's 40 minutes of audio if you need to, like, entertain, like, you know, a small class or something of children and um, not much swearing, I don't think. So uh, it, it uh, could be good for a home open, very inoffensive music, maybe even some U2 fans. It uh, could give you context if someone asks about U2, not having listened to an album, you, you could give an opinion on it. And also... Um, um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yes, so that has been said. I can't imagine recommending this and someone will, will like it unless they, they liked it before. Maybe like a challenge or dare <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's a joke entry to the quick. <laughs> um, because like the best you can you can get out of it is just being indifferent to it, I think. You can either really hate it, like some of us, or you can just be indifferent to it and continue with your life, and then it's not such a good recommendation. It can't hurt you if you don't listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can't hurt you anymore. Yeah, but I wouldn't waste a recommendation like on, on, on that. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe the, the three of us are wrong about that because it is a very successful album. But... Let's let's vote. Uh, anyone wants to go first? I'll go first. I am going no, to... No, I'm going to stroke my mustache. 
I bet you do it. Uh, <laughs> well, I was actually planning on tipping my hat, but if you if you stroke the mustache, then Peer no, pressure. It's, it's over. Yeah, it's over. I'll strike my mustache. <laughs> but I'm gonna take it that you've stroked your mustache as well, just for the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just for the records. <laughs> so our next episode is going to be a side quest episode. A side quest we've done one before is an episode when instead of choosing a movie or a book or an album, and we all get to know it. One of us chooses a topic, introduces the other two hosts to that subject, and then we discuss that. Our first side quest, episode 17, was about the Anthropocene, uh, or the age of men. So, our next episode is going to be a side quest that I'm preparing. It will be called the Culture Quest Podcast Sword Quest Side Quest, which, oof, that's a, a long sentence. If you take the, the two keywords from that sentence, you'll be able to figure out that it's going to be about Sword Quest, which is a video game series from the early 80s, and... I think that unlike the last side quest, this one won't have too much that we can learn from it. You know, it's not a big story that affects everyone. It's not a scientific story or anything. It's just an interesting story. Uh, it really appeals to my geeky personality traits while being so stereotypically geeky <laughs> that it makes me feel cool. <laughs> also, it's it's kind of an interesting glimpse into some history of the gaming world. Stuff that I, I, I'm really interested in. Cool. And because Peter's already decided on what we're going to do for the episode after that side quest, and, you know, you guys, you don't have to prepare anything for that side quest. Peter, you're going to tell us right now what we're going to do two episodes from now. So two episodes from now, this is actually going to line up really well with what you've done, because if you're going through the history of video games, I am doing a video game. Ooh. So, Wow. Because I, I wanted to show some respect to Barrio because I know I I didn't vote in Firewatch into the Queg, but I really nor inside. did get something out of just saying, nor inside, just and, and I did point. get something out of um, Firewatch and inside because it's warming me up. I'm not boiling yet, but I am. It's warming me up to video games, so I wanted to pick something so I could feel like I have a piece of the pie, like I. I'm responsible for... You want to beat Barrio for picking a, a video game that will get into the quake? <laughs> no, I just, I didn't want to be the person that's... N- well, actually, this is going to be a bit of a slight <laughs> on you, but I don't want to be the person that's never picked a video game. Like, I <laughs> I wanted to pick it just so I had some ownership over that category. You know, like, yeah. I wanted to bring it to the table and, you know, so Barrio can criticize mine or, you know, yeah. vote mine out or something. You know, just something so I have a bit of skin in the game i hope it's something good <laughs> this one i'll um i'll post a link in the in the chat for you guys um this one is called gris and oh gris is um it's 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 by a spanish indie developer so indie points there only released kind of recently in end of 2018 and um it's basically sort of a platform adventure that's what they call it and um yeah apparently it's very visually um appealing and it's got a sort of a sadish tone to it but um yeah it's about a young girl lost in her own world dealing with a painful experience in her life her journey through sorrow is manifested in a dress which grants new abilities to better navigate her faded reality so gris is um is Spanish, I think, for grey in, in mm. English. Um, and I think at the start 
you start off in a gray world and then you slowly add color to it. So as you start winning the game or something, I assume wow. you kind of get more colors and it'll fill the screen up. So um, visually it's, it's quite interesting. But, That's amazing. Um, you can get it on, on switch, which it was rated 10 out of 10 on switch. Yeah. Well. Also in steam. Uh, perfect oh, sorry. 10 out of 10 um, on, on steam sorry. Yeah, okay. um that's what i did mean um steam it's 10 out of 10 you can get it on switch which um i probably will play it on um windows mac it's on playstation 4 cool so, oh my goodness yeah yeah it looks it looks beautiful yeah I, i think i fell in love just from seeing the pictures wow. yeah it really <laughs> looks beautiful i have this game on my steam wish list for a while now cool so i really would love playing this and also it says it has a uh, like reviews mentioned the soundtrack as being really good so mm. i really can't oh, wait well, perfect choice peter oh wow yeah i think um it does tell it, it i've looked at how long it was because i didn't want it to be like you know 24 hour yeah. time or something um it's sh- i think it's roughly maybe three hours so exactly you know, according to how long to beat.com it's three and a half hours three and a half hours to do the main story and if you want to do the main story plus the extras it's between four to six hours so Nice. Yeah, it shouldn't yeah, be too, cool. too bad. And we have three weeks, so that's... No, that's it's exactly... Good. It's a perfect choice because, like, with video games, there's so many genres and styles and everything, and I think you've went with something that will kind of be complemented by what we've gained from Inside and Firewatch. I think it's a good choice. Awesome. Yeah, perfect. So, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye-bye. The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So, you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So, that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double l dot org so it's it's a dot org so it's it's legit and um basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity so obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times but if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to um, charities it's definitely best to do your research because A lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So, it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So, out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So, um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So, this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, 
Yeah, so definitely hop on to GiveWell.org if you're considering, and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you. Hey, this is John and Ben with Geek Exploration, the podcast, and we have something new and exciting to share with you. We made a comic book. Now live on Kickstarter, Space Oddities number one. Space Oddities is an adventure comedy story about the crew of the Aftosa, Jorge McSanchez and Dirk. They are in the business of locating and procuring lost or misappropriated antiquities. While on a job, a young woman named Jet Paxton suddenly becomes an unsolicited crew member. Jet's quest to find her mother will point them towards a fabled artifact of immense power and all the danger that comes with it. Space Oddities is the beautiful, talented, and great-smelling love child of Indiana Jones and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So if you're into screwball space adventures with a little heart, visit spaceoddiescomic.com for the latest updates and to learn more. Space Oddities. It's good. I like it. <laughs>